Amen. Praise God. Thank you, thank you. Um, hey, <clears throat> calm down, guys. <laughs> we love you. I love you. I don't know you, but the Holy Spirit in me loves you. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. And then he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord's good. Um, here's what's going to happen tonight. And I love, I love that 1 Peter chapter 2 just comes and smacks us in, in the face. And, and I love that the truth of Scripture, right off the bat here tonight, um, as we're just jumping in, is, is this. We're commanded to live this way. You, if you're in Christ tonight, this is for you. The, this book of 1 Peter is written for you. Um, and, and so tonight, as you read it, you apply it to yourself and say you submit yourself to this. And right off the bat, it smacks us in our face and it says, I have to put away malice. I have to put away deceit. I have to put away hypocrisy. So if I don't look like Christ, who I am claiming, if there is unrighteous in me, I have to, unrighteous, I have to put away those things, envy, slander. And then I love that then he says, Newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. That's us. That's us. And it's this, this reference to the word of God that as like babies crave and need milk that we would be people tonight who would lean in and say, Lord, teach us. Teach us, show us. We need your truth. We need your word. I can't just do this. I can't just be better. Don't do these things, do this. How do I do that? Lord, I need your help. My hope and prayer for you guys for this night since the last three or four, since last Friday has been, Lord, would you do this work in us tonight as we preach, as we speak and sit under the first 10 verses of chapter two in First Peter tonight. As we look at those first 10 verses that the Lord would take us and show us who we are called to be and what that means. And so uh, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, let me, let me preview a little bit because I haven't slept a lot and so I get a little rambly when I don't sleep. Uh, so I'm just gonna preview for you in case I get you lost somewhere in the next 30 minutes. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna tell a story, right? I'm gonna tell a story. It's one of my favorite stories that ties to this idea of identity. I'm gonna tell a story. It's kind of long. Some of you guys are gonna be like, man, where is he going with this? This is a long story. Calm down, stop yelling at me. Uh, and I'm gonna tell a story and it's gonna tie into, hopefully, Lord willing, if God uses it, tie into this idea of identity. And, and I want it to be a picture for us. And then we're gonna spend the rest of the time just looking at a couple of applications from some of maybe the richest, I'm probably gonna say this next week and the week after and week after, but at least for tonight, some of the richest stuff in First Peter um, of what it looks like to have our identity. Because if right off the bat, if we get told this is what we're not supposed to do and this is what we are supposed to do, you've gotta tell me how to do that. And the Lord tells us all through 1 Peter, you do it by having a new identity. You do it, you, you can't just be better, don't do the bad stuff, do the good, and so that's what we're doing and that's where we're going. So if you haven't gotten there yet, flip to 1 Peter, it's towards the back of the Bible. We're also gonna have the slides up there if it's easier for you. Uh, we really are so glad you're here. We are excited about what God's gonna do. Um, and, and this has been a fun series to be able to kind of step into uh, because 1 Peter is so applicable to us. So find it in your Bibles or on your iPhones. I'm gonna, so a few years ago, uh, and by a few years ago, I mean like, gosh, I wasn't married yet, so like 12 years ago, uh, 
12 years ago, I was coming back from a mission trip and I had a layover in London. And it was, it was a layover where I landed at like dinner time and, uh, and my next flight didn't take off until the wee hour, the early morning the next day. And so I thought, man, I've never actually been to London other than the airport. And so I thought, man, I'm gonna go explore London, right? The middle of the night, I'm gonna go take a taxi into the city. I'm not gonna just hang out in the airport or get a hotel room. I'm gonna enjoy this. And so I'm gonna go explore and look around and, uh, and find some coffee shops that are open late and just walk the earth and get into adventures. And so that's what I did. And I found a coffee shop and it was open all night, and so I was hanging out in a coffee shop, and I met a man. And this guy's name was Abudi. That was his name. Middle Eastern guy, really eccentric, really cool guy, but like, kind of like weird and a little goofy, um, but just super eccentric. And so we started talking, and talking for a while, and talking for a while, and told him where I was from, and kind of what I was doing. And he was like, oh, man, you need, you, you need to come and get in my car, and I will drive you all around London. Right? This is before the movie Taken had come out. And so I was like, all right. So... So I went out and I checked his car and he was, he was driving a BMW. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely gonna go. Like if I would've come out and it was a Camry, I would've been like, no, you're shady. <laughs> Only shady people drive Camrys, but it's a Beamer. And so it's like, he's, good. he's inherently good. It's a Beamer. So I get in this guy's car and he drives me around London all night. No joke. We just drove around London. He showed me the London Bridge and showed me a bunch of random stuff. And we talked to homeless people and we just did the whole thing, right? Just all night driving through London. And then he drove me to the airport, like in the wee hours of the morning, and we did the whole bro hug, man, this was fun. We swapped numbers. And then he gave me $100 too, just because he's super generous. Well, it was 50 euros, but it was the equivalent of $100. And I was like, wow, thanks, man. That's super generous. And wow, cool, yeah, man, I'll call you sometime or call me or whatever. We'll connect. If you ever want to come and visit Garland, Texas, you know, I can, sh I can show you around. We got used car lots and we got a Long John Silvers. It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a tour uh, in my Civic. Uh, so anyway... Uh, so I get on the plane to fly, fly back home. And then, no joke, we had a little bit of a relationship, right? He would call me every once in a while, and, and he would just talk my ear off. And, hey, man, how you doing? How you doing? And, and we'd chat for a while. And so maybe once every few months, you know, he'd reach out, and I'd answer. And the dude will just talk, man. Like, he'll just talk. So a lot of times, I'd just put it on speakerphone and, like, be brushing my teeth or whatever. But just this real eccentric kind of strange fella. And, and this was all throughout the period of time. Like, I was dating Danielle. I got married. So this is over the course of a couple of years. And he's always asking me, always was asking me, hey, you need to come. I'm going to be in the south of France for like three months. You bring your wife, come and hang out with me in the south of France for three months. And I was like, ah, that doesn't work that way. Like, I can't just go to the south of France for three months, but thank you. You know, and then he would be like, man, I'm going to be in Sicily for all the whole winter. Come and hang out in Sicily for the whole winter. I was like, ah, I can't just go during the winter to Sicily. Uh, and so, but it, he's super generous. And I learned some things about him. And one of the things I learned was the guy's crazy wealthy, right? Because all he does is just live in these exotic places and just spend a ton of money and I guess hang out with people and give them $100 bills on their way to get on airplanes. And so I was like, man, what a strange fella. And so one time, this was probably about nine years ago or so, uh, he called me and he was like, man, I'm gonna be in Italy and Rome for like two months. Come and hang out with me. And I said, okay, booty. I said, man, I don't wanna take advantage of your generosity, but if you're serious and you really wanna fly my wife and I out there and you wanna put us up and hang out with us in Rome for a week, uh, then I could do that for just a week. Like I could take a week off of work and I could hang out with you in Rome for a week. <clears throat> and he was like, yes. I was like, I don't want to like abuse you or whatever. He's like, no, 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 that's awesome. Uh, here's the dates. Uh, these are the dates that I can get off. I told him. He was like, awesome, I'm going to have somebody contact you. So then I, told, I hung up and I told my wife, hey, we might or might not be going to Rome. Uh, <laughs> she's like, what? And, uh, and then sure enough, a travel agent calls me who, by the way, happened to work for a travel agency that had his last name in it. So like his family, oh, he's from, the, he's from Saudi Arabia. His family's in the oil business. 
And they got, they got a bunch of oil in Saudi Arabia. So <laughs> he owns a lot of stuff, like infinite amounts of money, basically. And he has a travel agency and he's got hotels and the whole deal, right? And so this travel agency that was his travel agency called me and they're like, hey, so here's your flight attendant, here's the information we need. And they sent us e-tickets. And so then it goes from we might be going to Rome to, hey, babe, we're going, we've, we've got to, a you know, return flight. We're flying to Rome. I'm not sure what's going to happen those seven days. And then we have a return flight to come home. Still some mystery about it because I hadn't seen this guy in like four years. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, okay, cool. And so we, again, Taken hadn't come out yet. And so we're like, let's go. You know, let's go. Let's do it. So we got on a plane and we flew to Rome. And there was like a super fancy car that picked us up with a little sign with our name, Fuquay, on it, and we got in the car, and they drove us, because we didn't know where we were going, they drove us to the stinking nicest hotel in all of Rome. It was called the Hotel de Russi. I think it's still there, and it's in the heart of Rome, and it's just opulent. Crazy, crazy expensive, just super, there's like this really fancy restaurant right in the middle of it, and it's just, and we're walking in in our like Walmart clothes. This was before Target. We hadn't upgraded to Target. Like, we were still on a Walmart level, and we're walking in, and it's like, just pretend like you know what you're doing, you know? And, and they greet us at the door, and then the concierge greets us, and he says, oh, you're guests of Mr. Abudallah. Uh, he, uh, he's actually delayed. There was some family business, and he won't be here this week. And we're thinking, huh, <laughs> wonder what that means. And they, but you know what? Your room is covered and you're fine and everything's fine. He just won't be here. And, uh, and so he'll, you know, he'll, uh, he'll contact you later in the week. And we thought, okay, so we have a room though? And he was like, yeah. So he gave us a room key. So we now had a free flight and a room. And so we go to our room and get settled in. And we look at the prices of like one of those little bottles of like Coke. And it's like college tuition, right? <laughs> And it's like a bag of chips, and it's like a mortgage payment. And so it's like, okay, awesome. We got a free room in an incredible hotel in, with a free flight here and back. This is awesome, but I had to put my credit card down at the desk for incidentals, so don't touch anything, <laughs> right? Like, don't drink water that just only out of the faucet, just in your mouth, right? Like, don't use a towel. Like, we're just, we're going to enjoy this, but like, we're not, you know, we're just going to kind of walk that line. And it's fine because we're in Rome, and so far, everything's been free, and so we're just slumming it. And, but it's incredible, because we're in Rome, and he's not even there, so we don't have to, like, entertain or, like, you know, hang out with him or anything like that. And so it's, like, awesome. We're just, I'm just hanging out with my wife. And we would, like, go around and try to, like, find cheap food or, like, wait till somebody else finished their meal and come and, like, get their scraps <laughs> kind of stuff and get ramen and just, you know, whatever. We just ate real cheap, and, and we lived it up. And, and, uh, and then, and, but our hotel was crazy nice. In fact, the White Witch from Narnia, Tilda Swinton is her name. She won like an Oscar for something, right? Till, you know what I'm talking about? Scary albino, like scary looking lady. <clears throat> Tilda Swinton was staying at our hotel. No joke. We were like at the hotel and the elevator doors opened and we were like, oh, <laughs> it's the White Witch of Narnia. <laughs> She's at our hotel. So it's just super posh and incredible, but we're just like, don't touch anything. Don't break anything. Like don't let my Walmart shirt brush up against something. Uh, it'll cost us money. Halfway through the trip, uh, a booty calls, and he, he rings our room, and I happen to be in the room, and answer it, and he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, and he feels awful, right? Here I am with, like, a free flight, and, like, I'm not even gonna be his friend this week. Like, I'm not, he just did all this stuff, and I'm not gonna hang out with him, and he's saying, hey, I'm so sorry. He feels bad, and I'm like, don't feel bad, man. I'm here with my wife in Rome. This is great. This is awesome. This place is super nice, and he's like, are you enjoying the restaurant? 
man, you need to be eating every meal in that restaurant. It's one of the finest restaurants in the entire country. And I was like, well, no, we're, we're not really, in, but we're enjoying, you know, there's lots of crust. Like, people are leaving all their pizza crusts, so we're eating those, and that's great. You know, and so, and he's like, are you enjoying, there's a, you know, get massages. Get lots of massages. Enjoy the restaurant. Enjoy this place. Please, please, please. And I was like, and I was like well, honestly, we're, we're fine. We're, we feel so blessed, um, but, you know, we, we aren't really going to be able to afford that. And he's like, no, no, no. It's already on all my business account. The entire, all the restaurant, everything in your room is connected to my business account. I want you to, I want you to enjoy it. Please do it. It'll really hurt my feelings. It'll be a big insult if you don't enjoy it. Everything changed, guys. (laughs) Everything in that moment of my life changed. For the first like three days of this trip, right, we were having a good time, but like we were stealing money from people, right? It was just sad, right? And we were just eating scraps and digging through trash cans and very Garland-esque type things. But now, which is where we're from, so I'm used to it because I'm from the streets. But now, now this phone call, and then I had the concierge confirm it because I was like, I don't want this guy to be wrong. And so the concierge is like, yep, it's completely, it's not on your card. It is 100% on Mr. Abudallah's card, which, by the way, has infinite money on it, right? He didn't say that, but I inferred that, right? <clears throat> and so, dude, we went to town. We got massages every day. We ate in that restaurant. We are like, yeah, let's try that. I'm gonna have some steak there. Yeah, we just, no joke, um, one night at dinner, Tilda Swinton, my friend, my friend Tilda Swinton, she was there and she was like sitting like 20 yards away from us with a friend of hers, I guess. And uh, we saw her and she was just having a bottle of champagne. This still makes my wife anxious that I did this. But I called our waiter over and I said, hey, put her bottle of champagne on us. I paid for an Academy Award winner's bottle of champagne. When I signed it, $1,500 was how much her champagne was. And I, well, Mr. Abudallah paid for it, but I signed for that. That was my choice. I didn't even, I totally played it cool too because my wife was like real embarrassed. She's like, oh my goodness, I don't know about this. And I was like, no, we're just gonna play it cool. And we're, we look so poor that people will think you're really wealthy, right? Because eventually you get they, like, wow, they don't even care. Like, look what they're wearing, right? They're not even trying. They're so wealthy. Um, that, kind of, that kind of thing. And we just lived it up, massages and food and awesome, awesome stuff. And it was incredible. And it was a total, uh, it, it, was, it was one of the best three-day vacations uh, ever that last half of that week. And here's why I tell you that long story. Uh, I think that when I think about First Peter and when I think about our identity and how our identity changes everything, It's one of my favorite stories to visualize what we have in Christ. Because what happened was I got a phone call and all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, all of this blessing, all of this life abundant is not on my card, it's on somebody else's card who owns the Middle East, right? Like it's on someone else's infinite bank account, right? Who drops 50 grand a weekend kind of thing. And so everything that now I'm living, I get to live in that level of freedom and that level of confidence, and it's not on my card, it's on his card, and that phone call and that awareness and that now identity of who's paying the check changed how we functioned the entire rest of the trip. You tracking with me? Because that is such a beautiful picture, I think, of where we're going for the rest of this night in 1 Peter. If we as believers click to who we are, whose we are, 
and whose card it's on, it changes our actions, our attitude. It changes how we live our life. It changes the freedom that we get to walk in. It changes how we relate to other people. It changes everything. But I think we walk around, I think I walk around as a believer, timid and scared and working and performing and hiding and faking and not walking in that freedom. That's where First Peter challenges us. Verse four. Verse four he starts to really unpack what some of this identity looks like. And so we're gonna read these two big chunks of scripture. We're gonna grab a couple of applications and we're gonna go back to worshiping in response of this truth and begging the Lord, God, change my heart. Change my heart. Would this not just be another identity talk in my head? Yeah, okay, I'm a child of God and I know that should, would, it, would he transform our hearts? Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, Talking about Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Remember that word. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for those who don't believe in Jesus. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Here's, uh, here's what we see. There's so much here. Uh, here's the big thing that we're gonna unpack from this that I'm gonna attempt to unpack here. You are a living stone. Uh, we start to see Peter shape our identity, try to encourage us as believers, hey, here's who you are, right? You're not this, you're not that, here's who you are. You are a living stone in this spiritual place of God, right? In this spiritual, this temple, this spiritual house of God, you, as a believer, are a living stone, he's defining. And Jesus, the chosen and precious cornerstone. Jesus is this cornerstone we are living stones in this temple, this house of God's glory. Jesus is the cornerstone. There's a lot here. One big takeaway I want us to hold on to. One big takeaway that I think is so important for my identity as a believer. At the root of who I am as a believer, if I'm going to live this way, if I'm going to identify this way, it's going to have major impacts on the way I relate to everything else in my world. It is, it is the phone call that I needed to hear to change my mind about... Jesus is the cornerstone, I am a living stone. This is not about me. This identity you have in Christ, if you're in Christ in this room tonight, this identity that you have in Christ, you are not the cornerstone. It is not about you. And I think one of the things that can often happen in talks where we, where we want to remind ourselves of who we are and our identity in Christ, what happens, and very rightfully so, is we see lots of scripture that's very affirming that says, man, we're a child of God, we're chosen, we're, we're a new creation, all these very real truths. And one of the dangerous things that can happen is we take those and we say, yeah, these are confidence boosters, and we misapply them as these are confidence boosters to me as I see myself as the sinner. And I need these good words and truths of encouragement to say, yes, I am good. I am seen as, as his son. I am seen as righteous. All true things. But one of the real dangerous things is we start to mistakenly shift ourselves into the cornerstone. And all of a sudden, our identity is rooted in, well, 
we're the center. We're the point. This is about us. This is about making us feel good. This is about our satisfaction. This is about our glory. You are a stone in his spiritual house. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, there's a couple ways you could look at that. You could say, okay, so I'm just a stone, right? If this illustration is playing out and if Peter's trying to communicate something to his people and his believers in exile, so I'm just a stone in the house, right? Like I'm just on a wall somewhere in his courtyard and Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Like I'm just a stone in his house or... You can interpret it. I am a stone in his house. You know the difference between those two things? One of them knows how precious it is and would be to be a stone in the house of God because they have a view of God that is big enough and worthy enough and sacred enough and holy enough and satisfying enough to say, oh, to be a stone in his house. Psalm 84.10 says, better one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. The psalmist says, better one day in God's courts than I get to hang out, if you picture a king and just his courtyard area, and I get to spend one day than a thousand elsewhere. And I know thousand is figurative language for a lot of days, but even if you take it literally, right, better one day than almost two and a half years, over two and a half years Anywhere else, anywhere else you could possibly imagine. Spending two and a half years in any other scenario that you would want and enjoy and chase after. Two and a half years versus one day standing in his courtyard. Because that's how sweet and that's how precious and that is how worthy of worship he is. And when he is the cornerstone, it's not an insult to be a stone. And if we think that, and if we, if we start to say, well, wait a second, because I don't think anyone's gonna disagree, hey, this isn't about you. We've heard that, yeah, I should probably nod my head to that theology. But what do our hearts say? Is our world, is what we're chasing all about us, our satisfaction, our glory, how we make ourselves happy, our identity is not rooted in us being the center of our identity. There's gonna be a lot of great encouraging truth about who we are and how we're made new and how we're, but our identity at the core has to be rooted in the idea of yes, I'm made righteous, I'm seen as a son, a daughter, I'm accepted, all my baggage is washed, all these great things, but it's because it's all about him and my life is all about him and I get to be a stone in his courts and it's what I'm designed to do and it's beautiful and it's beautiful and there's freedom in that. It's not about you. And there's life in that. It's not about you. And there's sweet, deep worship in that. It's not about you. And it is a major error if we say, okay, but this should be about us. Um, When we try to become that cornerstone, when we try to become that cornerstone, when we find ourselves in that place, that's, that's so often the root of my anxiety, right? That's so often the root of my disillusionment. Because, oh man, I just am not, I'm just not happy. Uh, I, I just, I'm not satisfied. I'm, this isn't good enough. I, I think we see that in patterns in our life. In maybe this is you or maybe you know somebody who has a really hard time making commitments in relationships. And there could be lots of reasons for that, right? Don't, I don't want to overgeneralize this. But perhaps one of those reasons is because, okay, we have a relationship with someone. We're dating them. Everything's fine and fuzzy and great and awesome. 
and it's new and it's fresh and this is great. But then at some point, the disillusionment wall hits in and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, they're not, as, they're not as exciting as they were. And yeah, I don't know if they really, in the same ways, satisfy me the way I, I thought they were in the beginning. And all of a sudden, what's happening is we are the sinner. That relationship is actually just about affirming our insecurities. That relationship is about affirming and satisfying, and that's not how our relationships long-term are designed. It's certainly not how marriage is, and if you're dating without the purpose of marriage, then that's going to be really rough. And so, and so what we do is we make this big mistake where we say, okay, we're the sinner, and this is about us, and, and it revolves around us and our satisfaction, and are they complimenting, and are they encouraging, and are they affirming me, and we've put ourselves in the center. Maybe it's a job, right? Maybe it's a job for us or a career for us, or you're pursuing a career and, and, it's, and it becomes this cyclical thing of, man, but I, I just feel so unsatisfied by this. I just don't like this. This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't enjoyable for me. And I'm not saying that God can't use some of that to call you to a different place because he, he can and he probably will in your life. But if we jump from job to job or relationship to relationship driven by this desire or this self-centeredness of, but it's not satisfying to me, what if instead of saying, is this job satisfying to me? What if instead we ask the question, is this job glorifying to God? Is this season of my life, is what I'm doing right now in this season, instead of saying, is it, is it fulfilling me? What if we said, is this glorifying to God? And what if I loved God enough to say, I will be satisfied where he is going to be most glorified? And what if that was now the driving principle? And what if as we engage in relationships, whether it's romantic relationships or friendship relationships, we said, what's most glorifying here? What's most glorifying in this relationship? How do I glorify God most in this way? And, and if I feel the peace of the Lord to say, man, I think I need to continue to pursue this. I think I need to fight through some hard things. I need to fight through a hard season at work. I need to be faithful to my commitment. I need to, uh, I need to continue to be a light in this dark place or whatever those narratives might be for you, we ask the question, are we glorifying God? And if we are, then we say, that's where I'm satisfied because I'm not the center of my universe. He is. And so the question of, is this satisfying to me, will always come back eventually no because you're not designed to be satisfied by those things. You're designed to be satisfied by the glory of God. And if you don't like that, don't email me. Take it up with God. Take it up to God or, or try to find anywhere in this book that we say is authoritative, anywhere that this is about you or me, because it's not. It's about him and his glory, and I'm designed for that. And oh, to be a stone in his courts, for him to be the cornerstone. Would I love him? Would I worship him enough? Would I appreciate Would I want to glorify him? That is so satisfying, and that's where I find my satisfaction. If you want to read more on just that, read anything John Piper has ever written. Right? He just beats that drum how can I live a life that is most glorifying to him and find my satisfaction in that? But wait, there's more. Verse nine. <clears throat> but you are a chosen race, God says. <clears throat> you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, this is so good. Somebody should get a tattoo of this whole thing, a back tattoo. This whole passage, I'll give you $5 if you do. Um, 
You are a royal priesthood. Let, let me just real quickly, the context of what they're hearing this in, the context of this whole idea, being a royal priesthood, they're speaking to this Jewish crowd, right? This crowd that would have understood that are now in an exile in, these, in this foreign land that doesn't accept them. They're followers of Jesus, but they understand what priesthood means. The Old Testament, there's an entire book, Leviticus, walking through methodically the law and the rituals and how to approach God and how a priest might be able to approach a holy, perfect God. And the priesthood is this incredible thing. And it wasn't just, hey, you gotta, you gotta go through preschool and you gotta be really hard. You've gotta be born in the right family. You've gotta live righteously. You've gotta follow these rules. If you accidentally make a mistake, then you gotta go through all these cleansing process. I mean, it was this incredible thing to be a priest. And these people would have heard that and they would have all of a sudden picked up the phone and heard the word of God telling them, you are a royal priesthood. And that would have blown them away. No longer, the Old Testament, we needed priests to intercede for us, right? We needed priests to go before the Holy of Holies, make sacrifices, on, to, to intercede, to connect us, right? And then we had the one true high priest, Jesus, who changed everything. And 2,000 years ago, then Jesus came and he was spotless and he was perfect and he was the perfect priest and he was the perfect sacrifice and he died and he completely changed everything because now, now everyone after Jesus, we get to put our faith in Jesus and now we get this new identity of being a priest, a royal priest who can approach a holy God. And at this time, 2,000 years ago when this was written, that would have been revolutionary. I am now a priest who can approach God. I now have access to the God of the universe. I now get to play a part in this. It would have, it would have blown them away. It would, have, it would have drastically, their expectations would have changed. Right? I'm a priest. I have access. There are now expectations on me. Um, I, it would have surprised us, right? If, um, if you ever feel like, okay, well, I can just be a spectator. Now all of a sudden it's like, no, you can't be a spectator. I did a, um, I went to my cousin's wedding, this was several years ago, and I showed up at my cousin's wedding, and it was, uh, it was like east of Dallas, it was like in Terrell or Roy City or something like that, and I showed up to my cousin's wedding, and this is a true story, this is, if you are afraid of public speaking, this is like your nightmare. Um, I, I'm not too afraid of public speaking, so it wasn't a horrible deal, but you get the point. I showed up, and I walk up, it was an outdoor wedding venue, and I walk up, and we pretty much got there right on time. I don't remember what time the wedding started. It was like afternoon, so it was like 2 o'clock wedding. We showed up like, yeah, maybe like 1.58. We walk up, and, my, and one of my other cousins is there handing out bulletins. And he goes, hey, Ben, like, hey, man, you know you're doing this wedding. Like, you know you're officiating, right? I go, <laughs> what? And I looked down at the program, and my name was on the stinking program. <laughs> like, I showed up to a wedding on time, like in jeans and a dress shirt, and I got there like two minutes before it started, and it was like, oh, oh, no, no, you're not a spectator. You're officiating this wedding. And if you're thinking, how does that even happen? I know. <laughs> that is exactly what I thought. How does this even happen? Like, you normally rehearse this, and I feel like I should have gotten a phone call at some point to let me know that I was officiating this wedding. But nope, there I was, and I officiated a wedding. Um, we started late, clearly. But the point is, the point is, the point is we're not spectators. Right, like this verse should punch us in the mouth. That's why it should be a tattoo. It should punch us in the mouth and we should see the context and we should say, oh my goodness. I, if you are in Christ, brothers and sisters in this room, if you are in Christ, your identity does not allow you to be a spectator. 
If you are in Christ, the very identity that has been purchased and given to you, if you are going to walk obediently to the spirit of God in your life, does not allow you to be a spectator. It says you are a priest. And a priest has major responsibilities. A priest has a holy weight on them. And if you have been purchased by Jesus, you have that weight. And look at why you are a priest. Look at what happens. Verse nine, he says it. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then there's a really important word there, that. You're all of those things. You are that identity because of who Christ has set for you. You are that identity that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're in Christ, you cannot be a spectator and be obedient. You cannot just come to church services and enjoy and consume and think that that's obedience. Um, You can't even just have a quiet time, one-on-one with Jesus every day for an hour and think, okay, that's healthy. You need that. But if that's where your obedience stops, then that's disobedient. You are called a royal priest that you might proclaim his excellencies who saved you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you with your life proclaiming God's excellencies who saved you out of dark into light? Are you proclaiming them? You proclaiming those excellencies? Do you know how excellent he is? Do you know those excellencies? Is your heart stirred by that? Are you listening and intaking and, and putting your, saturating yourself with constant truth, reminding you of how beautiful and how perfect and how dark the darkness was and how beautiful this marvelous light is so that we might be constantly living out a life that proclaims Jesus? Does everyone around you say That person proclaims Jesus with their life, with their words, with their actions, with their obedience, with their work ethic, with their dating habits, with their eating habits, with their, that person proclaims Jesus with their life because that is what our identity has called us to. There is a response. If we are this, then that should happen. If we are this royal priesthood, if we are in Christ, we are a royal priesthood. If we are a royal priesthood, we should be proclaiming. I don't, I don't do, just to be real honest and vulnerable, I am paid to do that and And I don't do it well enough. I am daily convicted of either me not walking in my identity that's been purchased for me or not boldly proclaiming it. And and that's my job. I believe that there is margin for everyone in this room to have the Holy Spirit come and speak to you and say, I love you. I love you. I want more obedience. And for us to say, oh, yes, this isn't about me. Yes, 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 this is about you. When I was in Rome... And that phone call, and I pick it up. He says, no, it's not on your card. It is on my card. All of that is on my card. He, the God of the universe, in his truth, in his word, in his spirit, he sets your worth. He sets your value. He sets your adequacy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he sets your worth? Or is your worth set by all of what everyone else says about you? Do you believe he sets your value or is your value just by how the world values you or how you see yourself in the mirror even, how you value yourself? Who's, who is authoritatively setting your value? Are you trying to live on your own card, on your own, or are you saying, okay, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna believe that this gracious God, for some reason, he sets my value and who he says I am. And if you have believed in your life that you are ordinary or inadequate, 
and you have thought, who am I? Who am I to do this? Who am I to live this way? Who am I to approach him? And you have thought, I'm not good enough. I'm not gifted enough. And now you hear the word of God saying, no, you're a royal priesthood. You are a part of a royal priesthood. This ministry is yours. It's not the vocational pastor's sole responsibility. It is you. You are a part of this priesthood of, of believers, and you have a task to do. Well, but I'm just ordinary. I'm not gifted. Yes, he says, I set your value. I tell you your gift. I set that, and you are a priest, he says. If, if you have believed, I'm ruined. That's great, but I'm ruined. My sin, well, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my past looks like. You don't know what my last weekend looked like. You don't know about the relationship that I'm in now that is sin and it's, and it's cancerous and I just try to forget about it and I just try to medicate myself because I know the sin in my life and I feel ruined. And then all of a sudden you hear the Lord say, you're a holy people. You think, but no, I'm not. No, you're not. But he sets your value because of the righteousness of Christ. And if you're in Christ, he says, you're a holy people. But I'm ruined. No, you're not. You're a holy people. Or maybe you say, but I feel unaccepted and I'm lonely and I'm, 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 in, I'm isolated and I don't. And he says, but you are my people. You are not alone. You are not on your own. You are my people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. It is not your righteousness. It is his righteousness. And that is the gospel and the gospel that has purchased us an identity that should change everything. Would we respond to it? Do we respond to it? And would we? Let's beg the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus tonight to help teach us and show us and take information that maybe some of you have heard and said, Lord, I want more of that. I'm not content with where I'm at. I want my identity to be more and more rooted in you and when we look at our disobedience, say, Lord, look at, my, look at the lack of fruit I'm producing and say, I need to know who I am more and more Would I be rooted in that and would I run towards obedience, run towards what you call, run towards a life that proclaims how excellent you are. Let's pray to that end and then let's stand and let's worship to that end and let's beg the Lord for that work that only he can do. Father, do this, please, in the name of Jesus. You are the only one who can. We love your word, God. It is, it is milk that we need um, it is sustenance that we need. And so, Father, we want to submit to this truth. We want to believe what you say about us more than what the world says about us. We want to believe what you say about us more than what we think about us. We want to believe your word, Father. We want to, we want to so delight in you that, God, we're not in the center. We just want your glory and that your glory would be our pursuit and that we would be satisfied living a life that is glorifying to you and that that would be the question we ask, how can we glorify you? How can we glorify you? Father, change our hearts in the way that only you have the power to do. We submit to your word. Change our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs>